about boldness. I said two weeks ago to kick this off, boldness changes history, right? Bold actions, bold prayers, bold decisions create defining moments in life for all of us that change the course of our life, that change our life story, that ultimately change history. Uh, we're going to jump into Acts 2. If you've got your Bible, we're going to get there and uh, go through the, the message that Peter preach, preaches in Acts chapter 2. But let me, let me just set the stage first. Um, the Jews have two significant holidays that are packed in kind of a short time period together. The first is Passover. We talk about Passover oftentimes when we share the Lord's Supper. It was a time that the Jews remembered how God had delivered them from the nation of Egypt when they were slaves. And the angel of death passed over. About 50 days later, they have another holiday that they celebrate called Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Um, the name Pentecost um, is, the, is Greek, and it means 50 days. 50 days after Passover is when this celebration is. And it's a celebration of when God's word came down to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. When through Moses, God's law was delivered to them to say, this is how you have a relationship with God. What an incredibly cool thing to celebrate, isn't that? That God would interact with us and tell us how to have a relationship with him. So Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And those two holidays together brought Jews from all over the world. Jews um, would live hundreds, thousands of miles away, and they might only get one opportunity in their life to come celebrate Passover in Jerusalem in the temple. And when they did, it's not like they were going to spend two or three days and then go back home, you know, take three months to get there, spend three days. They would stay for both, um, both holidays. You'll see this, both celebrations. Um, uh, Set the stage. If you go back to Acts 1, verse 15, Jesus says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You guys stay in Jerusalem. He says to his disciples, you stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to be filled with power, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You hang out in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to come. So they did. Jesus, after his resurrection, is in Jerusalem and Galilee for 40 days interacting with people, 13 different incidents are mentioned in Scripture, interactions that Jesus has with people, one with as many as 500 people, where he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. He goes into heaven, and he says, hang tight, because the Holy Spirit's going to come. The comforter, the Greek word is paraclete, the one who comes alongside you and strengthens you is going gonna, is gonna to come and be there. So they're hanging out. They're in the upper room. Chris's message last week, they choose a, a replacement for Judas who had hung himself, a guy named Matthias, and we talked last week about how you make decisions, how you sort through that. That's the setting that takes place in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or power. Um, that verse starts and says they're all together in one place. That raises the question, right? Who's the all? If you go back to chapter 1, there's 120 people that are gathered together in chapter 1. 
But there are some things in the text that make you wonder whether it's only the 12. We don't know. All we know for sure is that that they were gathered together to celebrate Pentecost because they're still Jews, right? The church hasn't started. Nothing's changed yet. They're, They're there to celebrate Pentecost, the holiday, together. And all of a sudden something happens like a dramatic movie. You can see Spielberg, you know, kind of putting this... Um, on screen where all of a sudden this sound like a tornado comes into the place where they are and and tongues of things of fire appear on their head. We don't know if it was like the radiant heat like you see above a fire where, you know, the, the air quivers, that kind of thing, or whether it was physically fire that sat on top of their head, stuff that looked like, we don't know that for sure, but, but Luke describes it that way, that there were tongues as a fire on there. And all of a sudden, these guys begin to speak in languages that they've never learned before. Make no mistake about it, that is a miracle. Um, two weeks ago, before we left for Honduras, uh, somebody prayed with me after the service, prayed for Eric specifically. Eric's um, Dad originally was a Spanish speaker. She prayed that Eric would have the ability to, to recall all that Spanish. Um, it was a great prayer. God didn't deliver in the, in the Acts 2 kind of way. <laughs> you know, we still were dependent upon translators to go through that process, but we were able to communicate in, in some really cool ways. So you have the setting. Something supernatural happens. What happens when all of a sudden there's an event that's completely out of the ordinary in your life? It draws people to it, Right? This afternoon or tonight, even in the middle of the Super Bowl, if an ambulance comes down your street and stops four or five houses away, got the siren going, the lights going on, what are you going to do? You're going to go find out what's going on, right? When, when a tornado comes through, uh, uh, May 22nd, 2011, I've told you before, I've got three daughters that live in Joplin. Two did in 2011. When the tornado hit Joplin, my two daughters worked at Starbucks. And for days and weeks after the tornado, people would come in off the interstate and say, where, where was the tornado? We want to see what happened there. It raises all kinds of questions to say, what's it going to look like? That's the deal. The Holy Spirit comes in and all of a sudden there are questions that happen all around Jerusalem because of the power, the sound of the wind. It draws people to the disciples. We don't know where they were, whether they still are in the house, whether ultimately they end up in the temple courts, which is probably more likely. Um, And all of a sudden people begin to talk and say, what's going on? And they hear in their own language what God has done. Um, Luke says this in in verse 5, and he sets the stage. He says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Pause for just a second. Sometimes when we look at Scripture, we read it and we think, Oh, that's literally true. There were people there from every, every nation under heaven. That's what Scripture says, right? Understand how language works. When we say, I went to Central America, I went to Honduras, and there were people there from all over Central America. There were. There were people from Nicaragua. No Nicaraguans, actually. From Guatemala, El Salvador, Panama, Honduras. But I would say, oh, man, there were people there from all over Central America. That doesn't mean that they were there from every community in every country that was there, right? That's a descriptive phrase that's there. And what it meant was there were people that came from all over to Jerusalem for Passover, Devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered, confused, amazed. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? That's a clue that maybe this was probably just the 12, because out of the 120, there would have been people that weren't just from Galilee. So it may have just been the 12 and not 120. Verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Everybody's come from all over, Jews from all over, to celebrate Passover. And they get there, and God does something incredible. Let me, let me share just, I think, an important truth out of this. Think for a second about the world in the first century. Peter and the apostles could have spoken that morning in Greek. Because a couple hundred years earlier, Alexander the Great had conquered the world. Greek was the language of the world. It was the language of trade. They could have spoken in Greek, and most everyone in Jerusalem would have understood the message, right? Uh, in, in Honduras... My Spanish is not very great, but I can follow conversations some, especially in church, because I can recognize the books of the Bible and the numbers, so I can kind of track what's going on. They could have understood if the message would have been in Greek. They could have really understood if it had been in Hebrew, because they're Jews, right? And the Torah is in Hebrew. They would have, from an early age, begun to learn Hebrew so that they could read the scriptures for themselves. Peter and the disciples could have spoken in Hebrew and and the Jews would have understood. But God did something amazing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone was able to hear the message in their own language, in their heart language. When I travel, especially when I'm a Spanish-speaking country, my brain aches. Because all the time I'm trying to I'm trying to think through, Okay, those are the words. What's that mean? And it's so good to be with English speakers, because all of a sudden I don't have to think the message is clear. It comes. I'm able to express myself completely and not depend on a translator. God loved the Jews so much that he wanted them to hear the message of Jesus in their heart language. That says something incredible about who God is. Understand that God wants you to know Jesus' story in your heart language. Not King James. King James is great translation. But God wants to be able to speak to you in words that you understand so that you understand the nuances and implications of what he says. God loved the Jews so much that he spoke to them in their heart language. Verse 12 All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what's this mean? What's the deal that they are speaking in a language that we understand? The power of the Holy Spirit raised a question that demanded an explanation. The Holy Spirit set the stage for people to be ready to hear the message that Peter ultimately preaches. One of the things that I think is really cool about North Point and the third serve kind of things that we do, going to the women's shelter to serve and, and babysit kids, um, packing food that's going to go to Haiti, 60,000 meals, is that it not only meets a need, it raises a question. Why would people do that? 
Why would people invest two hours of time to go help people that they don't have any contact with, that they don't know? Why? You know, when, when you fix a meal for a neighbor that doesn't come to North Point, that's not a part of your normal world, but they go to the hospital and they come home, and you fix them a meal, it raises a question. In 2015, why would, an, why would people do that? Why would they extend love to me that way? This afternoon, when you go out and shovel a driveway without taking any money for it, it raises a question, right? Why would people do that? When we serve others not expecting anything in return, it, it raises this question. These shirts we had printed um, in November when we did the food baskets, what's not on here? The, the, yeah, the name of the church. Now, it's on the back, but it doesn't say North Point Community Church. It's there. This T-shirt was designed intentionally to start a conversation so that you wear a shirt like this and people say, I think I've seen that logo before. What is that? And then as they ask the question, it gives you an opportunity to share the answer and to launch launch into a conversation. That's that's what the Holy Spirit did in speaking um, in, in allowing the disciples to speak in languages that they that they had never learned before. They ask, what does this mean? Uh, verse 13, others mocking said they're filled with new, new wine. They're drinking Boone's Farm. Um, you know, they're, they've gotten drunk on cheap stuff. They're, they're drawing this conclusion and they're setting the stage for Peter to get up to speak. Verse 14 says, but Peter standing with the eleven. Um, you know, I've wondered when I read that, does that look like Peter standing here and the other eleven you know, being the bodyguard stand, probably not at all. In the temple, in the area where the temple was, big, large area. And if you were to go there now, one of the things that you'll see is people cluster there on the Temple Mount, uh, around the Dome of the Rock, around the Wailing Wall. People cluster according to um, who they can understand. So like when I, when I was there, I could hear a, a guide in Italian, speaking to a group of people from Italy. I could hear another guy speaking German. I could hear another guy speaking an Eastern European language. I could hear another um, guy speaking Spanish, whatever. Where did I go? I gravitated towards the guy who was speaking English to just kind of slide into their group and hear what they were saying. I think that's what happened, that people were drawn to the language that was their heart language so that they could hear the message. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I'm not going to read Joel's prophecy. You can look at that yourself. But what he says is, All the prophecy of Joel that you've heard about, about the Messiah coming, about the Holy Spirit, about God's power, the things that are going to happen, this is it. You're seeing it fulfilled in your presence. God is doing something amazing. Verse 21 says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to just kind of give you a snapshot of Peter's message. I, think, I scripted it out and said, okay, if I'm pe- preaching Peter's sermon, what would I do? The introduction is this. We're not drunk. This is, this is uh, the prophecy of Joel fulfilled. That's the introduction. And then Peter gives the thesis statement for his sermon that day. He says, this is what we're going to talk about. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That was that was scripture that the Jews knew that was where he was going to go. And then his first point was this. You saw Jesus power as Peter goes on to preach. He says, you saw the works that Jesus did, the signs and wonders that he did. You saw him heal the lame, heal the blind. You saw him uh, heal leprosy. Just two months ago, you saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, not five miles from here. You saw the power of Jesus. That was the first point in his message. The second point was, and you gave up Jesus to be killed. You were the people that were here seven weeks ago saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. You saw the power of Jesus. You knew that it was supernatural. And yet you gave him up to be killed. Peter's third point was God raised him from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, but God raised him from from the dead. He goes into a prophecy of David to show that it wasn't an accident, that from the beginning of time, God had planned that that the Messiah would come back to life, that he'd be raised up in that way. Verse 32, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And what you see and hear now, the, the tongues, the power, the presence of the spirit, it's the fulfillment of those prophecies. The conclusion of Peter's message is this. God made Jesus both Lord and Messiah and you killed him. Understand that impact of those words. These are Jewish people that from the from the time that they were infants had been taught someday a Messiah is going to come and rescue us. The Messiah is going to come and change everything. Messiah was something everyone longed for. And Peter says in the boldest way possible. God made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. It says in our scripture, Lord and Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Christ and Messiah are the exact same thing. So what the Jews would have heard is you made Jesus both Lord of everything and our Messiah. And you killed him. I don't think there's anything that Peter could have said that would have been more powerful to Jewish ears. The one who had come to rescue us, you killed. Uh, I had a friend in, in uh, Northern Virginia, a guy named Bob, that was a Secret Service agent in the presidential detail. Secret Service, you know, lots and lots of people there. It's a pretty exclusive group of guys that run with the president. And when I say run with the president, they're the guys who run with him when he jogs. They're the guys who are on the car as the car goes down the road. They're the guys who are, who are there protecting him. If there's ever a threat to the president, Bob was one of those guys who his job was to jump in between a shooter and the president. It didn't matter what the politics of the president were, whether he agreed with them or not. Bob's role was to place himself in between the president and a shooter, somebody who wanted to hurt the president. If that had happened, if that had happened and Bob had taken a bullet and died so that the president could live, What do you think the president's response to Bob's wife would have been to his kids? The compassion, the care, the concern, they wouldn't have wanted for anything because the 
president's gratitude would have been so overwhelming that he lived and Bob died in his place. That's the picture that's there as Peter preaches. He says, God sent the Messiah to come and rescue us and you killed him. That's true for us too. We recognize that Jesus died because of our sin. And the people respond and say, we killed the Messiah. What, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And Peter says two things. Repent and be baptized. And two things are going to happen. Your sins are going to be forgiven and the Holy Spirit's going to come live in you. Um, repentance is a word that we typically only use in church, right? It's, you know, you don't, we don't typically say to our kids, you need to repent. Um, it's a church word. But what it means is that you're walking one direction and all of a sudden you turn and head the other direction. There's some people that say that it's translated an about face. There's this picture in repentance that we're going one way and a change happens. Peter says, you want to know how to respond to the fact that you killed the Messiah? Change the way that you're living. Um, for we Americans that that have heard the story of Jesus a lot, we tend to, I think, to operate that in a conscious place in our mind. Oh, I need to repent. And here's the thing that I think that we miss. Repentance is that our action changes because of what's happened in our heart. It's not just a conscious choice where we confess sin, where we say, yeah, I was wrong. I I did that. I'm responsible for Jesus' death. And rationally, we acknowledge that. Repentance involves a change of our heart, and the change in our heart is what causes our actions to change. I've got another friend named Joel that I can remember sitting down and talking to him over lunch one day. The the restaurant that we went to had to be in a certain area because Joel didn't have a driver's license. The reason he didn't have a driver's license is because he had been arrested for drunk driving and thrown into jail not long before that. Talking to Joel because I didn't really know him very well and, and said, just tell me your story. What, you know, tell me what's going on. He said, you know, I was out in the bars, got drunk, drove home. Next thing I knew, I'm in jail, in a detox, going through the, the, through the whole process. He said, when I got out, I didn't really have any recollection at all of what had happened to me. So I went back because I knew where I had been picked up. It, you know, it was on the ticket. I went there and I stood in front of this house and I saw the tire tracks from my car. And in the front yard of this house, there was one of those little statues with the guy with the lamp. My tire tracks were about 18 inches from that statue. And where my tire tracks stopped were about six inches from a big wheel. He said, when I stood there, I began to shake because I realized that I was so drunk that if that statue had been a person, I would have killed it. If there had been a child on that big wheel, I would have killed that child. I said, what do you do with that? He said, well, I can tell you, I'm not drinking again, ever. That's the picture of repentance. Because if I were to ask you guys, if we were to do a secret ballot thing today and I said, okay, I want you to write down yes or no. Is it wrong to drink and drive? 
I'd guess almost all of you would say, yeah, it's wrong. That's stupid. Why would you ever drink and drive? And if I said flip over the paper and tell me, have you ever driven after you've had something to drink? It would be far from 100%. Because we acknowledge that it's wrong in our head, but our heart hasn't caused it to change our behavior. That's the picture of repentance. That's the piece that we miss. And that's the piece that Peter says to the crowd. What do we do? We've killed the Messiah. Repent. Change your perspective. Change your life. Turn your heart around and be baptized. Why, why did P- Peter say be baptized? I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, here's what I can tell you. Baptism was not something that was, that was limited to the church. Baptism was a pretty normal part of first century culture. The Essenes were um, baptized, they, they were baptized sometimes as many as six times a day. A ceremonial cleansing, they said, to get rid of the sin in their life. The Essenes were a certain brand of Jews. John the Baptist, when he preaches repentance, people come from Jerusalem. He preaches repentance and they're baptized in the River Jordan. Baptism was a, was, it was a, a a normal, uh, uh, something that people recognized. And what it was, it was an opportunity for people to place a stake in the sand and say, my life is going to be different from this point forward. We need that, don't we? Um, we, we, It's easy for us to say, yeah, I'm going to go do this or that or whatever. But when we sign our name on the line, when we put money to our action, we put the stake in the sand On August 30th, 1981, Deborah Ann Ellis and I had been dating for two and a half years. We were in love with each other, right? We had committed ourselves to spend the rest of our lives together. But on August 30th, 1981, publicly we said, here's the deal. Nobody else for the rest of our lives, you and me, together, We're getting married. We placed the stake in the sand. That's what baptism is. It's it's an opportunity for us to boldly state, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to allow Jesus to come in and have complete control of my life. To be my Lord and Savior. What he says goes. Um, you know, the, the song that the band sang, the Carrie Underwood song said, couldn't fight back the tears. So I fell on my knees saying, God, if you're there, come and rescue me. Felt love pouring down from above, got washed in the water, washed in the blood. And now I'm changed. Now I'm stronger. There must have been something in the water. You know, there's nothing magic in the water of baptism. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Jesus is the only one. Who can save? We're saved by grace through faith. There's not anything magic in the water, but there is something that re- that's really cool that happens when we say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. I want to place that stake in the sand. I want to take that step. Baptism doesn't save anyone, but the sinner's prayer doesn't save anyone either, right? God is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who makes that possible for us. 
Baptism is the action step that people in the first century took to say yes to Jesus. Let me say that again. Baptism is the action step that people in the first century took to say yes to Jesus. Peter says, you've killed the Messiah. You've killed the Messiah. And they say, what do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Sometimes we think, wait a second, how's that fit with Romans 10? Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Which is it? Confess, confess and believe, repent and be baptized. Yes, it's all that together. It's not one or the other. It's not, oh, this doesn't matter. This doesn't. It's all of that together. Those are all responses that we have. Um, don't you need to just believe and that's enough? Yeah. All I know is this. Baptism was the action step that people in the first century took to say yes to Jesus. You know, there are a lot of questions that come up. Um, after the service, I'm going to be in 106, kind of right back there. If you've got some questions about baptism, if you're thinking about it, I'd love to talk to you there. Lots of questions coming up because you think, oh, wait a second. What if somebody hasn't been baptized? Or they say, my Aunt Martha was a godly, wonderful woman who knew Jesus. She was never baptized. What about that? You know, the cool thing is God is the one who makes that decision. He doesn't need my approval. You know, he, he doesn't even want my opinion about that. We can trust God for that. The challenge for us is to say, what do we do individually with our response to God? And I'm, I'm convinced that heaven is going to be populated a lot with people who were never baptized. I'm also convinced that there are a lot of people who have gotten wet who don't know Jesus at all. I'm convinced there are a lot of people who have said sinner's prayer that don't know Jesus at all. Because it involves repentance and belief and confession. Baptism allows us to plant a stake in the ground. It's a choice that we make. One of the other questions that people ask lots of times is, you know what? I was baptized as a baby. How's that factor in? And here's what I'd say. It is incredibly cool that your parents cared enough about your spiritual health about your eternity, that they would choose to have you be baptized as a baby. Man, if that happened, I, I would say to you, write a note to your mom and dad if you still have the ability to do that. Call them on the phone and say, thanks for doing that, mom and dad. But understand that that was a choice that they made for you. And the things that we're talking about, the, 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 the description that's there in the first century, is that those are choices that we make. Only we can decide to repent. Only we can decide to confess. Only we can decide to say, Jesus, come in and change me from the inside. Those are choices that we make. And if that's not a choice that you've made, I'd encourage you to take the opportunity to plant the stake in the ground. Because God doesn't have any spiritual grandchildren, right? God only has sons and daughters, People who know him personally, who choose to accept and follow him. Verse 39 says this, this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 39 is us today. The promise of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says as he preaches, you've killed the Messiah. The people say, what do we do? How do we respond? Peter says, repent. And be baptized. And two things are going to happen. 
Your sins are going to be forgiven and the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to say yes to Jesus on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to live for him. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be bold in our faith, in our life, in our love, in our submission to Jesus. Our sins will be forgiven. For I've had lots of conversations with people who have said, you know, I, I prayed... I prayed and asked Jesus to come to my heart. I don't know if I did it right. I don't know if my sins have been forgiven or not. I didn't encourage you to say from Acts 2, there's a promise there in verse 39 that says, you want this promise? The promise of forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit living inside us, it's a promise to those who are nearby and those who are far off. Grab hold of that. And when Satan attacks, when Satan um, guilts you, you have the ability to say, you know what, in the name of Jesus, be gone, because my sins were forgiven on the cross. The promise of forgiveness of sin. Here's how we're going to end the service today. We're gonna, the band's going to do a new song, a song that we've not done on a Sunday morning. If you listen to Christian Radio, you may have heard it before, and if so, I'd invite you to sing along. It's an incredibly cool song. After that song, we're going to worship again with a song that's a little bit more familiar and finish the service that way. Um, but here's, here's the deal. I think you hear a message about what Jesus did, the reality that God sent Jesus to save us, that God sent Jesus to take the bullet that Satan designed for us. And we say, what do we do? And, and we hear what that response is. And sometimes I think we think, yeah, I hear that, but my life is too much of a mess. There's been too much stuff that's happened in the past. I'm too far from God. I think I've stepped out of the realm of, of being able to be fixed, to be able to be redeemed. This song that the band's going to sing says with incredible clarity, it communicates this idea that God takes broken people. People with hurts, hang-ups, and habits, and reclaims them. People who have messed up at work and messed up in their marriage and messed up in their finances, messed up in their relationships, and their lives are laid waste. And God takes that when we place ourselves in his hand and does something incredible. Let's stand together. Let's sing.